Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms. And also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Avery. Avery is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. And I have the pleasure to welcome one more time Sefer Musawi to Urbanistica podcast. Hey, and welcome back. Thank you, Mustafa, for the invite. That's a pleasure to be here again. I'm so happy to record with you and to see you ERL. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the first one. The other one that we, the, the other time that we did it, it wasn't clear. Um, so we had like a live stream. Yeah. And you also had it on your YouTube, which was quite nice. But uh, nice to meet you. Yeah, this is much more better. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I can see the man behind all the achievements, you know. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How are you doing, Seth? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good, actually. Mm. So, I mean, like, this year for many of us has been, like, a challenging year. But also, like, in every different difficulty. And uh, when you have, like, this uh, topic of, like, the thing that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like True. Many of us, we have become like a stronger, yeah. especially when it comes like to our self-development. Yeah, you're right. I, I totally agree with you. And uh, I would love that we start also with you. Give us a highlight about you, mm-hmm. uh, your background, and sure. tell us your, your story. All right. So if I want to make it short, I see myself as a green tech advocate. And I have been active within like the green tech industry for more or less um, 11 years now. And that's the time that I uh, moved to Sweden back in 2010 to have like a career shift and start working closer with sustainability. But if you want to go back um, from that point, I had a background in engineering, marketing, and also public relations which is my background. I lived in different countries, but then I moved to Sweden to actually get myself like more familiar with um, sustainability and how it could actually work because I failed in a big sustainability project in Dubai or selling sustainability as a goal mm. to be corporate. And that was the time that it got me also like a bit of like impact panic that um, the thing that I'm doing is not really meaningful when you're working for like, you know, uh, classy business cards, shiny lifestyle, <laughs> and then you think like something is missing, mm. like a meaning from it. And uh, then I moved to Sweden. I started um, educating myself again, went back to school, and then I started to work as a sustainability strategist, and my life started like to go on like that. Since um, two years ago, after working um, as within like different sustainability roles, and as a smart city consultant for, for many years. Then uh, I started and co-founded a company together with some other partners, a company called Green, which is um, active in the industry of vertical farming. So that's my current role. And my role is the innovation and R&D lead in that company at the moment. Wow. But tell me what made you like to, to, to change your mindset, like really to, to move from business as usual to more sustainable and green like when you, i guess when you were in dubai yeah i was i was yeah. and the thing that made me change was more or less like thinking about all of this like different kind of data that you receive like from how bad the world actually looks like the statistic mm. when you hear about like the uh, population growth the different like scarcity of different resources that we have like our carbon footprint so more or less the kind of like climate panic that is more mainstream now i got it like a bit earlier okay and i started to look at like oh this big gap that we have about like haves and have nots and people which are like in the rich hemisphere and people that in the like not have hemisphere like that difference is really scary Mm. so that was more or less like what started like to um, give me a panic to see like okay why am i here yeah what can i do What's my mission? Yeah, exactly. Finding a mission. Yes. Tell us, like, update us about Sweet Green because last time we talked, 
uh, and I guess one year now, big things happen. So how is it going now? Projects, collaboration, scaling mm-hmm. up? No, I mean, one year for an, for like a thriving startup is a very long time. So <laughs> the last time that we talked, probably it was like around a year ago. And um, but by that time, I mean, we had like some other ideas about our main and core business. I mean, we were we were thinking about like, okay, vertical farming, leafy greens, fresh production, closer to the end consumer and everything. But as we went on and we had our very like unique facility in Stockholm, uh, we realized like logistics of food is really difficult. Mm. I mean, when you want to... Within like, in Sweden, you mean? I mean, within everywhere. So when you look at the business case of food, only 20% of the profit goes to production. And this is not like for small scale farmers because that's like a couple of percents. Mm. Like best case scenario, industrial food producers don't get more than 20%. The rest is logistics, transfer, processing, you know, whole buyers, wholesalers, and so on and so on and so forth, till retailers. And we start like to realize like, okay, that's one thing. The other thing is like last mile logistics is a hinder, is a challenge. Mm. So what we started to do was like we develop our concept from having bigger like facilities to very, very small facilities that you could actually like put it inside retail stores, restaurant, and really like close to the consumer without any logistics and transport like needed. Mm. And we thought like instead of like selling greens, you could sell services. You could sell farming as a service in a subscription model. Can you you explain more to us? I mean like that. When you go and subscribe to Netflix, you subscribe to like watching movies. Yes. And when you subscribe to us, you subscribe to receiving that many plants per day as a retailer or a restaurant. Ah. You don't need to think about like how our platform works. You don't need any knowledge. You don't need to do anything but like pressing the button play. That's what we do. Okay. So that's a plug and play uh, system. Of course, there is like minimal things that operatively our customers need to do because we're working with living plants, not with like (laughs) in a streaming platform. So, I mean, pressing uh, play could be like, you know, harvesting the product and taking it to, to the store, for example. And what we did was we started thinking about like, okay, we can capture the intelligence that we have in different areas of like plant science the area that was more connected to ventilation and like HVAC as you, as you call it, which is like heating AC ventilation. And those two combined with energy engineering automation, if we enable that by use of artificial intelligence and digitalization to remotely be able to control our units, we could actually like have this smaller units inside any store around the globe and control it like from here, from Stockholm. Yeah. I'll make sure that it's working. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing that we did. Mm. So we started like developing this concept and last August, the first of these units were launched in Gothenburg. Nice. At uh, at a store there. And that was the first version, which is more or less like a better version for us to understand how we could like make it work. Yeah. And since then, we became rather an end-to-end tech provider for that. Mm. Developing our own digital platform, physical platform, growing tracks, connectivity and IoT platform, and everything as a whole that you could offer to your customers. Mm. So now at the moment, we're building the biggest um, vertical farm of probably like a Scandinavia and Europe inside the store. Okay, this is crazy. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we have a project in Lean Shopping, which has its launch in the end of May, mm. beginning of June. So that's coming quite soon. I mean, we're building and installing our farm there. And this is the biggest, like, farm in Scandinavia wow. inside in the store. And um, in that farm, I mean, we have, like, an area of 60 square meters, which gives the store more or less 600 plants per day. They're like salads, herbs, and like spices, which makes them totally self-sufficient. Wow. And everything is controlled by us. All the systems are delivered by us. So you just chill in Stockholm and make sure that... Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is still like people that work with like customer success team being on site, making sure that our early adopter customers, like everything works for them. But basically all the brain is here in Stockholm Mm. and everything fed to the controller that we have for monitoring system, for supervision, for the to-do list that goes to our operators, 
everything is basically taken care of by what we call the Sui Green Cloud, mm-hmm. which has like different components. Yeah, but tell me about the team because what I see, you need like really multidisciplinary team yeah, players. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this is this is like the interesting thing about vertical farming and when you want like enable that with digitalization because yes, you need like knowledge about horticulture, vertical farming, plant science and crops. That's one thing. Yeah. The other thing is you need to create like the best controlled environment climate that works for the plants. That's basically the the engineer like management. And then you have like the engineering system for like the energy system, the water system, the fluids and, mm-hmm. you know, like um, CFD modeling and all of those. And then you have the digital comp- uh, competencies that enables that like to go to the, to the next step as well. So all of them together create a very unique system that also has something to do with like mechanical engineering, robotics, and automation. So it's both automation and autonomy mm-hmm. in one unit for plants enabled by digitalization. But is it easy to talk, to collaborate, to work with so many different disciplines? Um, there are definitely like challenges yeah. when you start to work with that. But I mean, the team that we have, we have a very, we kept it like very core and small. And from the beginning, that was a part of our strategy not to build like a big team and like a start like shuffling things around, but rather like to understand exactly what is it that is our need. Mm. And I mean, what good chance that we had was like a few of uh, the people in our competence team worked in the industry for so long that we understood. So instead of like doing R&D for some years, as soon as we hit the ground, we started running. Mm. And from the very beginning, we had ideas like, what are the different weak points in this industry that needs to be addressed? But of course, like innovation in business model that developed a lot. Yeah. And our concept became like work plans rather than only a vision. Mm. And we are still like working like with that to build up a team, to make this startup like a really viable scale up and roll out mm. like our sales. So there are like very interesting steps ahead as well. Yeah. Are you following the like the regular startup journey or you're um, like going define, some define <laughs> that? I mean, but it's more or less like that. I mean, we started as in a startup that was like we knew what what was it that we need. I mean, we didn't need like that much of like ideation phase, mm. but rather development of a vision and ideas and makes like okay is this valid is this viable and then you implement them and there has been a lot of like hands-on research and development which also we decided that we do that in a very street smart way collaborating with universities getting the competences from them and for them like that was like this is the coolest thing that i could work with (laughs) i can imagine yeah i mean so the researchers got the opportunity to use us as research infrastructure, mm. work on the edge, and we got to use like their competencies into our privilege. Mm. And we really got like good support also from the uh, public authorities in Sweden in that sense as well. Yeah. How, how is the market here like in Sweden or Scandinavia? Do you have, is, are there any startups like uh, competing? Um, you could say that. I mean, I, I've seen in a study some um, master thesis student like last year, uh, talked to me or interviewed me and she said like there are 14 different urban farming companies in Stockholm. Wow. In Stockholm. In Stockholm. That's crazy. Only in Stockholm. Wow. So, I mean, Sweden is a hub yeah. for urban farming. You could say that. But rather than seeing those other initiatives as competitors, I see them as co-market creators. Mm. There are like one of them that is more or less like similar to us nothing that makes us worry because I mean, we, uh, we see like our niche and our advantages in that journey, but I see us rather like as a team who are disrupting the food industry mm. against the food, like the cheap food being imported from like South of uh, Europe, from North of Africa and other places. So this is rather interesting for us to see like, okay, how uh, those greenhouse industries of Sweden, which are like on the pre-urban skirts, compete with us and how we all together compete with 
the like the bulk food like being imported like cheaply mm. from other places. So like you have a community kind of. Uh, I mean, yes, we don't talk that much. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things uh, which could be like better for these startups, like to have a better like organization. Yeah. Maybe like talk to each other. We know each other very well. Like all of us. I mean, our ways has crossed. Some of the co-founders of like other ones has been like my interns, for example, <laughs> or like we we know each other, like we see at each other like friends. But obviously, when you start like competing in a market, that kind of like goes to the side. Yeah. So I haven't seen many of them for 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 a year or like two years or yeah. Do, do you do you find it easy to work within this field, like in Stockholm or in Sweden, or you have like many stakeholders against what you do? Um, there has been more negative attitude towards this before both like in the consumer system and also like the rather traditional people like looking at that as something emerging and usually that happens with tech that first you get scared like oh what is it this is like so artificial but you're like no i mean i'm mimicking the nature that's what we're doing and everything that you have on this planet is like different elements that we could like put into into use as long as they're not like chemical hazardous like things and like people ask questions about like if if you replace sun by leds in an underground facility what happens like the quality should be like very lower like the yeah. and the thing is that no we could exactly meet the needs of those plants and actually like when they taste it they believe it better so the other thing was like before it was rather concept when people talk, there was no product like coming from vertical farms as well. Like in a sense that people could like taste them, yeah. buy them. So, but now, I mean, uh, I see like less negativity, way more positivity. And I mean, people have become like also a bit more like tech positive, I see in the market. So like, oh, it's cool that you could do all of these like interesting things. Like, <laughs> oh, this is the future. Wow, this is so cool. This is like rather the things that you're here like compared to six years ago when you heard like this is so unnatural. That sounds a bit like a strange. So mm. I see a change. So there's yeah, there is a change in the mindset. But also because this is this is the thing that I want to talk with you about. In the podcast, I talk about smart city with my guest and so on. So some of them are a bit like scared, mm. some of them are not. So we are kind of, I'm, I'm kind of feeling or see there's a kind of technology phobia. Sure. People are scared of this uh, new technology. Mm. So w what do you think is the reason or why is this happening? It's a very interesting question. I mean, basically, I think it's rather the fear of the unknown. Mm. Because when you approach something that you don't know things about them, you become scared. True. You don't understand like how it works. You don't have a picture like how in reality this could work. I mean, there are things that are scary about technology, which we could discuss. But I see it like as a rather like lack of a picture of like how historically we developed technology, how we could actually use technology in our benefit, how we actually could be ignorant, how technology could empower us and have like a very positive impact on the quality of life that we have. And some people feel threatened because the people who are more or less like, oh, indigenous knowledge based, or this is like the very traditional way of doing thing. And one thing is true. The smartness is all not all about tech. You could do like low tech things, which are super smart as well. Yeah, so, a smart city concept shouldn't be all tech oriented. It should be like people oriented, but the technologies that you could use to put people in focus, there are many of them. You just have to be like good and have like a level of understanding that you could like realize that. But also there has been some um, negative uh, kind of like things coming from the industry size as well. Like, like the hoax and scams of technology the overpromise of technology that pro uh, technology could like solve anything i mean if you go back mm -hmm. and look at like the different scams that happened like in um, in technology and different startups like who fade like terano zenefits you know talking about like one coin wire card many many things like that and even in vertical farming i mean many people say like we're doing the most sustainable thing but the thing that they're doing sustainably is ridiculous <laughs> Because they don't have the engineering art of being able to create a circular system. Mm. 
and they just ignore it. They just focus on the good sides and they always cover the bad sides. This is something that we who work with tech need to become like really, really better at. And I mean, when you look at like the amount of money that was driven to those technology companies, like when you talk about Toronto's, which was a company uh, that worked with, um, you know, blood tests, they got investment around $9 billion. Oh, wow. And vanished away because nobody <laughs> understood their technology. One coin, same thing, four and a half billion dollars got to them because nobody who invested in that, everybody got greedy about like cryptocurrencies in that sense and didn't understand how actually blockchain technology works. When you don't understand how blockchain works, you shouldn't invest in blockchain. I understand you. Mm -hmm. These are the things that could happen in cities as well. If your CTO doesn't understand how blockchain works, how autonomous vehicles works, how geographical data points work, you shouldn't get involved. And these are things that many tech technologies come, sell, and nothing changes. So, of course, like there is a lot of negativity. But if you use tech in a right sense and people who genuinely and responsibly work with tech could be put in charge and you don't invest in the wrong way, tech could really help. But now we are also like there is a one aspect of all the new tech innovation. Like it costs so much and mm. now we are looking at it from the socioeconomic point of view like only rich people will get access to this kind of new you know tech solutions what is your reflection about this i mean affordability is something that of course like gets resolved through time imagine like when when a technology is launched and it's in the r&d room is costs because you put like all those efforts to put together a a product that is so unique and you don't have competition, it all the costs of the R&D that the first uh, adopter users pay for. Yeah. So when you look at many different technologies, how they become mainstream, they come from industries like defense industry, for example, or like war industry, basically. Mm. I mean, drones. True. They existed 20 years ago. A normal person couldn't buy a drone to do photography with because they were so expensive. They were done like for spying and like taking like, you know, uh, photos of like, you know, uh, kind of like geographic places that were important, like in a very uh, political sense, rather than being used by a 14 year old to have like hobby. <laughs> yeah, That's the same thing, like mobile phones, when they were launched, how expensive they were. I mean, now everybody has a mobile phone. Mm. And, and look like what it's done. I mean, the smartphones, like the kind of sound that it gave like to the voiceless, Twitter, Facebook, yes, they had their failure. Facebook had its data scandal, I understand. But the amount of like empowerment that they had, like in social movements, in different like, you know, kind of like movements around the globe, the voice that it gave to people 30 years ago, you didn't know like what's happening in Libya what's happening in Australia, what's happening in India. Now people are tweeting. Mm. You understand that. I mean, this is something that we can't ignore. So affordability is something that you, you don't have the historical idea. So we had a talk together on Clubhouse, if you remember. Yes. And the issue of like autonomous cars came up. And somebody said like, I'm not sure like if every poor child could have access to one of those like autonomous vehicles. And for me is like, of course, like no children could have access to a normal taxi, like maybe like hundred years ago because cars were so expensive. But now like everybody could take a cab or like ride a bus. Mm. And these autonomous vehicles, if they become like shared services for a city, of course, in 10 years, it's going to be the most mainstream thing that is going to happen. The only thing is like you don't have an idea how historically it goes up and you don't understand like what an autonomous vehicle is. Because, I mean, there is a dude sitting driving the car that costs, if you take it away from the cost, autonomous vehicle is actually like way cheaper as a service for people. Mm -hmm. But but then, but then how how do we make this product available for everybody like I because mean, because in the end what we do is like a smart city for people right mm -hmm, for all people mm -hmm. i mean it, through time it becomes more affordable and sometimes you need to find like smarter economical solutions and parts kind of like different partnerships to make them more affordable for people sometimes i mean in smart city you work you work with the infrastructure levels 
and the things that we carried, like the hard layer of the city that actually doesn't have anything to do with people. These are sustainability by default. Like if one city decides that all of my energy resources should be renewable, which in my perspective, that's the, that's the choice that the city authority should do, not a consumer. But we always tend to like give that to the customer and like ask them to pay the premium on that. Okay, what's, what's there like to say for me mm. as a consumer? Use the technology, make it available for me. This is something that we, we need to become better at that sustainability by default. Not to like ask the customer, don't buy the plastic bag, where are you selling them? Uh, okay, I understand the, your point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what kind of eco- ecosystem do we need in order to make these solutions are more uh, available, more part of like our everyday life? Like that. I mean, in, in order to understand your question, you need to understand that, for example, in a smart city is something that is based on different innovations becoming um, implemented. Yeah. And implementation is rather a socio-technical transition. So you have a mesosphere of change in between that is more or less like a platform intact. Mm. And then you have like policies that come like top down. There is a very nice like scientific theory around that. Like if you want to like see the mesosphere of uh, social technical transition, you could Google it. So you have like the top down policy things that enables the innovations to be implied like better policy for implementation, the openness towards technology, the available public financing, you know, things like that. And then you have the bottom-up and grassroots innovations coming to the city. Nobody asked in a city for Uber to happen. True. But it happened. Nobody in the city of Stockholm asked for vertical farming to happen, but it happened. And when it happens, then people jump on it, say like, oh, we want to be 100% self-sufficient. <laughs> nice. And then there is like some sort of like sustainability prize that comes, some money comes, they make it like easier. Maybe you could receive like permits in an easier sense and so on and so forth. So this mesosphere, is a mesosphere of change, this is enabled from two different ends. And when you would be able to find like a model for that, then application of these technologies becomes like way more easier. Mm. How how is the this ecosystem in Sweden? Um, in order to co- talk about the ecosystem, I need like to understand the mindset of Swedish innovators and like entrepreneurs as well. Is it different than what you had in Dubai? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing is like in Sweden, things are genuine. Mm-hmm. People people are very much like trust based. Openness is very, like, high. Trust is high. Practicality is high. And there is a very uh, big naivety, you could say, like, in the Swedish ecosystem, which don't don't take me wrong. I mean, <laughs> naivety is a superpower to a stage. I mean, because when you're naive, you're curious. When you're naive, you collaborate. When you're naive, you ask questions that many times, I mean, they could be, like, relevant. So... But I mean, in in a later stage, when you want to like go global, mm. this naivety could be to your disadvantage. So I've heard that like from many different like uh, tech investors in Silicon Valley that we love Swedish startups because they're so naive and they're so open and they let us know exactly what they have and what they don't because they don't hide things. So, and when you have that, of course, like you have a very like open system in Sweden for innovation as well. I mean, there is more or less like, good amount of money available for whoever who wants to try it based on a somewhat like genuine idea. I mean, you could go like to Almi, you could go like to Vinoava, you could like, you know, seek money, you could get loan and so on. Of course, you can do that forever, but I see like very um, people who, who have like more or less like a half good you know, viable idea and they could like work with that for a couple of years before they fail. Mm. which is something that we need to become like better at and this is something that these public authorities they know themselves as well and this is something that happens because not all of the ideas that you bring on board survive and you're not risk capitalist mm. as i mean we in swedish we call it so we don't call it like venture capital we call it risk capital which is very interesting because venture is all about excitement mm. but risk is more about fear which is a negative thing But I guess we have a very like healthy ecosystem when it comes like to innovation and collaboration. But on the financing side, 
there are some gaps for definitely like a Stockholm if we want to be amongst like the top 10 places for tech, which I guess like still in Europe, like a Stockholm is among, amongst like the top five or 10. Mm. But if you want to be on the global scene in the top 10, then the amount of available financing should also go up. What is absolute, the absolutely biggest challenge in, in our ecosystem? Um, it's a very general question. I mean, I could maybe like go back to our own industry and talk about that yeah. to see like, um, because I mean, some in some industries it's easier. I mean, I know that there is more money available for fintech and digital solutions when you talk about it, mm. for example, as a challenge. And there are some certain competencies that you have like a better pool of competency in cities as well. I mean, thanks to the universities that you have and the talent that you have and the mindset that you have. But uh, for us, for example, I mean, the size of the market is one thing because, I mean, Scandinavia is not that big. So you, you don't always have like a very thriving market that you have like in London, for example, or in Shanghai. And these are the things that also gives us another superpower that we always need to think global. Mm. So you can't like define them as negative things. You could define them as... Um, superpowers that sometimes like help you to go like global really fast mm -hmm. do, do you think it or, or i wanted to ask you about the trends of the investments do people in sweden invest more on the green tech solutions or no is there a, a, a visible trend there is a visible trend i mean one thing that is quite like interesting with the swedish culture is uh, swedish culture is very much like future oriented you tend to forget about the past quite fast and it's like all about trends. You could see that in behavior of people as well, like a, a restaurant's getting trendy, everybody goes queues up there, after two months nobody goes there. Yeah. Because that's the trend. Oh, let's go there, that's interesting. And that's the same thing that happens also with different trends like popping. Everybody starts talking about it. And then, oh, now it's artificial intelligence, that's hot. Let's Data go talk driven. about Let's go talk about that. Oh, now it's like sustainability. But one thing that is good about the Swedish culture is I guess like sustainability is more or less some, something embedded and accepted by people. So you don't need to argue mm. for that, which is something that you need to do like in different places. I, I can imagine. I mean, talking about climate change, if you if you tell a Swede, like, I'm not really sure if you have, like, a climate change issue, you're an idiot in this perspective. Yeah. But, I mean, in many countries, you need to it's, argue. It's the opposite. If you say, like, a climate uh, issue, they'll be like, you're an idiot. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So, and that does that, that actually, like, getting closer to green investment and sustainability, it makes it quite easier. I mean, this, is be this becomes, like, a selling point for many. Yeah. That you open the door by sustainability, not talking about money. But the thing is like selling impact innovation, you need to understand nobody gives you anything unless there's a business case. Mm. And this is something that many impact entrepreneurs like tend to forget. Like obviously you need to make this planet survive. But the thing is like I always say that by doing good, you should create like more value and you should make more money. Otherwise people don't give you any value. So you should have a business case that is rather something between like idealism and impact and sustainable economic viability mm. so that people understand that and i mean when you look at swedish companies you see like okay they do it when they understand there's something to win look at like the sustainability strategies for h&m do you think they win financially by doing that or is this only like responsibility of course not only responsibility they win they win so it makes it easier for them to keep their values and make money because nobody wants to lose. Mm, of course. Yeah. So that's one good thing about uh, Sweden that you could actually use sustainability as a do door opener, basically. Is vertical farming a trend? Because like, as you mentioned, Sweden, some of like the Sweden sometimes like follow the trend for a mm -hmm. while and then just forget about it and go to the next. So do you see your vertical farming as a trend for a few years? For me, vertical farming is on verge of becoming an industry because, I mean, the amount of need that you have for that, the immediate need that you could have for that, the amount of practicality that you could get from that is one thing. So we as leaders in the industry need to be careful 
for overpromising because sometimes people like tend to overpromise things that never happen and make people disappointed. Tell me about the overpromises uh, within a vertical farming. I mean, like you see a lot of companies talking about like feeding the planet by <laughs> vertical farming. Vertical farming could be a piece of the puzzle and complementary to traditional agriculture that needs to be significantly changed. But mm. vertical farming is not the silver bullet to the future of feeding the people. Maybe if you are going to go to another planet and on Mars and you need like 100% controlled environment because you can't grow anything outside there. That's the same technology. The technology that we are using is used by NASA. It's definitely used by companies like SpaceX. Like look, if you look at like the actors that you see, okay, the older brother of Elon Musk is working with vertical farming. And for me, it's quite obvious why. Because, I mean, if you want to go to Mars and you want to have a campus there, you need to feed those people. Sure. And it's going to be vertical. I mean, it's going to be controlled environment. It's going to be minimum resources, all of the things that we are doing. But if you want to have, like, different fruits and, like, you know, staple food and things like that in a vertical farm, it's not going to be, like, environmentally and economically sustainable. So don't overpromise yet mm. before the technology has developed. But for me, it's like... In 20 years, the amount of plants that we're going to grow in vertical farms is going to surprise you. Wow. What kind of, uh, let's talk about the future, Sefer. What kind of startups are we going to see in Sweden? In which direction? Oh, that's, um, that's a very difficult question. But I see like definitely a trend about like optimization by help of artificial intelligence, like in all different industries. So that's like the new like, lean production for industry mm. coming optimization from like decision made by data 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 driven like decisions this is something that i definitely like see as coming um use of uh, more um multiple use or multitasking or super ai is one thing that is becoming like definitely hot like globally and that's one of those like tech aspects that makes me personally scared why i mean because it's like that um a super artificial intelligence that could do super uh, that could do like R&D on super artificial intelligence is scary because you can't control it the thing is like to a level that we are using i mean we use like artificial intelligence for many years we have like a, a little machine that plays chess with you mm. it doesn't do anything else but it it always wins because that's the only like ai based thing that it does and like for most of the people you can't win because it understands the laws better than you do but when you talk about like super ai is like a multitasking artificial intelligence system that could have like other things embedded in that so it's not only chess it's also like 100 other things that you could do like like autonomous cars but when you talk about like empathy sympathy senses instead of logic that becomes quite interesting mm. and the other thing that you see is like if artificial intelligence starts to do r&d and develop artificial intelligence because this is something that we don't do i mean it takes like so long time for us to do research on something i mean usually you have like a phd student for four years doing until. something until you could have like more or less like a half good like paper published and talk about your research this is already like four years old but if artificial intelligence could do that fast the amount of development that they're going to have is very interesting so this could be a bit like out of hand because we don't have understanding for many of these topics because the speed is like living in the fast lane for us that's not the normal tempo that we're used to or if you're talking about like virtual reality being enabled by AI, I mean, this is, these are like concepts like matrix that came up and it's so interesting because these things like they work like drugs. I mean, if you could be whatever that you want to be in a virtual reality, why do you want to be in the reality? Because in reality, things are difficult. Yeah. You want to be taller. You can't, you want to be like more beautiful. You can't. I mean, you want you want to go on a diet, it hurts. You want to learn something, it takes time. Yeah. But I mean, if you could install it in your head, if you could look like as you want, if you could like have whatever you want to make money, it takes time. 
So all of these things, they, they could be a bit like scary when they get like to that level. But the level of understanding that we have today is more or less like rather a concept than like exactly understanding what's the effect of that on our on our life. Mm. And I mean, that future is already here. Like all of these technologies, they exist. Yeah. They're just developing. Mm. What is the future of Sri Green? Where are you heading? Um, we are on the verge of becoming like a viable scale-up. Mm. And we are understanding our niche very much better. At the moment, I mean, we launched our end-to-end product. We also signed like contracts for some other units that we are going to sell. So becoming global is one thing. To try and go, uh, I mean, explore like other markets would be one thing. Like within Europe, are you thinking? Or like wherever? We are thinking like probably we could maybe try like something in Scandinavia. Norway could be an interesting market for us because, I mean, it's, it's a cold country. Uh people are not yet that much into sustainability as much as we are but it's it's getting like hotter and hotter they start like to talk about it quite a lot uh you know grocery shopping in norway is way more boring than uh, what it is like in sweden <laughs> so i mean we could help definitely and <laughs> um, people are more like uh used to like pay for good food as well yeah so that's one thing that you could do we also got approached by like um middle eastern like uh, ventures and like different places there i mean that's uh, that's a market with immediate need because of like problems with water scarcity and climate change those countries are hit and they're used to also like you know using high-tech solutions so that could be like other market also like uh, a market like the u.s could be interesting because i mean the amount of venture money available there is really interesting for yeah. us And the size of that market is interesting as well. But, I mean, before we end up there, uh, we're working on an innovation vision of ourselves in regards to different components of our solution, which are different products that we have. And as soon as we have a better picture of, like, what is it exactly that we want to do, we're building teams for that. We are building partnerships for that, both, like, with academia, in-house, and also B2B, to be able to go to investors and ask exactly for the amount of money that we want but i mean we don't want to be naive to lose control of our company before we actually need that much money and of course like we want to have like a better growth before we are like uh selling our shares but i mean the value the valuation of our company from the first time that we sold uh to private equity investors has been has went up like more or less six times wow so the people who came in early Now they're winning big. And I mean, even people who are coming in now, they're going to win big. Mm -hmm. So that's the interesting part. I mean, like we are are in a very like exciting um, uh, journey, like upwards, but you always as like somebody who seen in a startup failing bigger than Swigreen. I worked with another one that failed and then like bankrupt before. Within vertical farming? I mean, that was a company called Plantagon that I was the chief sustainability officer for. Okay. And that was one of the pioneers of vertical farming industry back in 2010. Sweden? Yeah, Sweden. And nobody talked about vertical farming globally. Plantagon was there as one of the firsts. But... Due to like lack of sync up between management team and majority owners, um, due to being a bit like ahead of its time with its concept, due to like sticking to a concept that maybe wasn't as practical when it came to reality, like heavy investment needed for a pilot project and so on, it failed. And I've seen that failing and I, I, I was seeing it failing for the past two years at least. Wow. Which really hurts. I, mean, I can I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, it hurts. It simply hurts. Uh, but the lesson that you learn from a failure mm-hmm. is something that you become wiser. That I mean, that's a very interesting journey, but still you're in the valley of death. Yeah. You need to be careful not to fall down. You need to be careful to be like super focused on the important things and have like a punch. You shouldn't have like a flat punch. You should have like a really like sharp punch to mm. be able to win. And these are interesting for you to like go over the scale up fa- phase and become some established company that actually could go further. And you see this like many vertical farming startups failing in that phase because mm. they think they have something they ideally and non-profitly work to that invest like sweat and blood they get like good amount of money as well but in the end they fail because the thing that they develop 
is not built for the market. Well, what are the other aspects that re- some startups forget about and they fail? Um, for me, one of the most important thing is like timing and time to market. Mm. So you should be uh, able to see like if you're coming with an idea, it's exactly in the right time. I mean, look at, for example, I mean, we talked about like Netflix in the beginning. Why did Netflix succeed? And before that, a streaming service from Sony and Pixar didn't. They had more money. They had better infrastructure. They had capital. They had everything. But the time was wrong because infrastructure maturity wasn't there. You didn't have your iPads, smart TVs. Mm. Like you needed to struggle for working with that. Mm. So they launched it exactly at the right time and with a very short time to market. That's the most important uh, thing in a startup, I guess. Even like above your idea, your team, availability of funding, whatever, timing and time to market. Mm-hmm. And I also, I would love to ask you about like now about cities because some groups talk about like cities shouldn't be so much technology advanced and should be like really basic. Mm. How has how as how the cities like were in thousands years ago? Now, like there's this a smart city and tech city, and there is the city on Mars. Mm-hmm. Can you just give me your reflections about these three different categories and in which one you really like believe and what is like your ideal city? Mm. Uh, when it comes like to use of technology, of course you should talk about like the user friendliness of that. I mean, if it's too complicated, it should be for the people running the city. So when you're talking about the infrastructure, it could be like really tech heavy because that's nothing that would impact the people. It would like make things available for them. So if your buses are 100% connected, autonomous, blah, 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 it doesn't impact you. It just gives you a better service. If you're As energy, a citizen. As a citizen. If your waste management system is 100% smart and tech oriented, uses like vision diagnostics in recycling station, blah, blah, blah. That's only easier for you. You don't need to worry about that. You just go there and like, you know, throw away your your uh, things, you recycle your products and the rest is taken care of by the infrastructure. So that instead of like going that to landfill and become a big problem, I mean, for example, in some, I mean, we are selling our waste, uh, sorry, we are buying like waste from other countries for our system because our energy system is dependent on that. Yeah. But I mean, we are paying like, for example, Norwegians, and we paid like Italians to bring like their waste here and use it as energy until like they started like making them like more humid with water. So they weigh more and we pay more. And then it was like cut back, <laughs> the usual things that happen. Um, but go like to cities like Beirut. One of the biggest issues that you have is landfill from yeah. the waste. This is, these are like big issues that you have in many different cities. I mean, I worked with different smart city projects around the world. Like biggest problem for a city like Tehran, for example, when I worked with them, they had 9,000 tons of waste per day being landfilled. Wow. And the, the investment needed for that to become energy was 300 million euros. But they can't or they couldn't, or they don't want, or whatever, like, because there's also, like, a mafia connected of to course. the race system, who um, doesn't basically let the city and the public authorities to land this kind of investment. Mm. And, I mean, if you do that, then you could obviously, like, have, like, a public-private, uh, like, partnership model that gives you enough money to do that, and then, like, use that resource for some certain years and even like invest in an like an e-bus system like based on this biogas that you receive like exactly the same thing that is happening here which is like a normal thing so that's one thing that you could look at Mm. but then it becomes like to a level that i mean you have people who are a bit more like vulnerable when it comes like to um technology and europe for example we need to think about our children and also the elderly, because Europe is becoming an old continent. And the amount of speed and tempo that we have for some people is not doable. I mean, just go like to the subway station and start looking at people over 80 who try to take the subway. The amount of like this fast gates that close down, it is scary. If those guys get stuck like in between there, they could break like a bone or something. How do we take care of that? Mm. These are just different issues that we need like to, we could connect it to technology that this is a senior card 
be slower with that dude mm. you know but we are looking at as like oh it's so scary to have like be at the train station because of the tempo yeah we yeah yeah so there are like many different angles like that you, that you need to talk about but obviously you're talking about like building something from scratch and sometimes this is like leapfrogging strategy that makes it very easier like when you look at the amount of like technology that get like implemented in countries that they don't have anything have like a clean sheet it's easier of course because here when you want to go 5g you should take care of 4g and 3g <laughs> and because investment has been done we have become like a smarter to not build infrastructure for the next 30 years we decide like three years because now we understood like changes are coming faster yeah. upgrades are coming faster but in eastern europe they go directly like to 5g in africa they go directly to 5g mm. but the, the other thing is like okay if it's going to be like 11G, what's uh, happening? What happens in the future? Could they change? Are they deciding like a lifespan that is quite interesting, sustainable in that sense to get rid of, replace, upgrade? So there are many different questions like that. You need like the sharpest CTOs and sharpest like chief strategy officers in cities. And one thing that is a bit challenging is many of those people are not that much attracted by the public sector mm. some are because they think of like the social value of that and the status of course like you have an office you become important but many of them they prefer the private sector because there is more money it's easier it's more flexible it's faster like it's faster it's agile you don't have like 10 different directors <laughs> and the politicians and so on and i mean our politics also is is an issue at the moment because i mean like globally speaking our politics and like the fundamental system is like so old we, we need like we need shifts we mm. need like to go like to, towards like a paradigm shift and that's why we have like so much like bipolarity at the moment like in the world when it comes like to the politics and people like hating each other because of believing in different fundaments mm. it wasn't like that 30 years ago mm. we could have like dialogue now we can't so there is a lot of different uh factors coming but obviously like it's going to be more tech oriented and more like future uh thought through like when it comes like to a city on mars of course yeah and the other challenges that you got but i mean in basic principles i mean a city is a city yeah that's true and now i'm interested in like what is your favorite city um that's a very you good have question. you have been in so many different cities <laughs> exactly and that's what i mean makes it a bit more difficult for me i mean i'm interested like in in a few cities which like i have them like a bit like more closer to my heart i come myself like from tehran which is which is like one of the most loveliest city that has a bad quality of life because of pollution because of noise levels because of traffic jams so all of this together makes it difficult I mean, it's also like difficult to survive there and work there. But aside from that, it's a very lovely city. So I love it. Uh, San Francisco, Stockholm, and I'm in love with Paris. Mm -hmm. But there are, there are like other cities that I'm also like a fan of, like Tokyo based on like advancement of infrastructure. I mean, amazing, like 40 million people like moving around in that city and everything works. I mean, the <laughs> Japanese attitude, it's amazing. Amsterdam, a melting pot. Istanbul, like a crossroad of like civilizations. It's an amazing city. And I mean, I have this little city of like Samarkand in Uzbekistan that I'm really yeah. a big fan of on the on the Silk Road. And um, I mean, it's uh, it's amazing. It's it's like more or less like being in the medieval ages. Yeah. So these are my, uh, my favorite <laughs> ones. <laughs> it's like a, a cocktail of, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. of city. And do you have a favorite public space, a specific one? Um yes i mean i'm a fan of like being close to water so here in stockholm i love normaler strand which is my favorite area and i live there like i decided that i want to be there <laughs> <laughs> so that was one one place that i decided that i wanted to be there um then there are like some other places that i loved i mean the area around notre dame like in paris i loved it i mean the the place itself like burned down but yeah. i mean not that bad but the the area around it is like very interesting. Um, Kensington Market in Toronto, definitely a place that I really like enjoyed like being there. And like uh, Santa Margarita in, in Venice is yeah. a lovely place to be. And also like the Spanish steps in Rome. So there are like <laughs> many, many different but places. But do you, do you love the, the, 
the water, the infrastructure of the water, or looking at the water? What like what makes you? Um, being close to water first, like f- I feel like peaceful, and it like sort of like softens the hard feeling of like being close to the city. I mean, I like the nature, but not as much of like camping in the in the in the, in the forest, because many people like do to be like in the woods and like get that like silence and so on. That like gives me both the feeling of urbanity and closeness to the nature. That's what I like about mm. water. Mm. And it's uh, nice, I mean, to look at water as well. Yeah, I understand. So then Stockholm is like a kind of perfect city. Yeah, I mean, definitely, because, I mean, it consists of islands. <laughs> <laughs> and bef- before we go to the final two questions, do you have a favorite building, like arch- architectural? Uh, yes. I mean, I have, like, Marina Bay Sands building in uh, in Singapore. That's an architectural, like, mm. genius building. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all of these buildings from early 1900s in mainstream Europe and also, like, here, like, mainland Europe and also here in Stockholm. I love them. I mean, basically, like, the, the model. Uh, Casa Batillo in um, Barcelona. I love that place by Gaudi. And also, like, I'm interested in different, like, religious places. Mm. So the Mosque of Shah in Isfahan, yeah, the church slash mosque of, like, uh, Hagia Sophia in Istanbul, I mean, that building is amazing. For me, it's rather a cathedral than a mosque. Uh, it became a mosque in a later stage. But, I mean, the building in itself, because I myself, I, I, I'm not that interested, like, in, in the religious part. And also there's another little mosque in the city in Uzbekistan that's called, like, Shahi Zinda. So, okay. I mean, Google it if you're interested yeah, yeah. in that place. And, like, those domes of turquoise, like, color, it's magic. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, but what I see, like, you don't have very, like, specific niche than architecture no. or city. It, like. could be, it could be, like, very modern. It could be, like, yeah. very, like, old school. I mean, even if, like, I see myself as a tech advocate, I'm a fan of, like, you know, keeping those culture references in places alive because these are like the souls of a place yeah so if you ask me for example in a in a high-tech city like dubai where's your favorite place i would tell you like the hura of dubai which is like the fisherman's village yeah i understand you it has a soul yeah yeah well i'm i'm so happy to (laughs) talk to you erl so interesting things to that we talked about and i'm really looking forward to record one more new episode in the future hopefully oh thank you <laughs> and now the last two questions the first one is you give us the listeners three takeaway messages okay um maybe i could become a bit more like uh, personal because i mean this this year has been tough for many of us in many different senses i mean it's been a big change that many of us maybe like mentally don't feel that good or maybe like started coping with that by now so I mean, you could always look at these difficulties as a personal development. So rather like see it as an advantage than like a nuisance. Because I mean, frustration of situations like that and the feeling of that we need to wait and everything, it's heavy. And like feeling isolated is is really difficult. The other thing is like finding a mission and a meaning in your life because usually people who are smart, we can survive by only routines and goals. We need something above that. We need to be able to find balance and harmony. And I mean, in order to come to that, you need to find it both like in your personal life, not to be only defined by your work, but also like learn something like that. And the other thing is like openness towards the things that we don't understand and try to like digest them and learn about them to have like a better future because I think the future is here already we just need like to to like open our eyes grasp it and see it Mm, very interesting and the last question is going to be asked by you to the listeners okay should i ask a question about myself or should i No, like ask us a question okay um maybe like i would recommend something like that imagine a future that you want to have i mean i like to talk about the future yeah and imagine like what would be the things that you want to have included in that future and imagining that could help you to decide that future because we as people we have the power to design our future and to build that and i mean in order like for the other people like to make it like um also like available for us so always think about that and have an idea 
instead of like being afraid of some changes or something coming in the future it's always like nice to from time to time look at the sky mm. and think like the place that we're living in is so small mm. it's universe and the things that we worry about are so small and i mean focus on the future the bigger picture it always like feels good to be a part of a bigger being and the universe so that would be a question ask ourselves uh what is a um an ideal question uh, ideal future for me ask that question and try to define it for yourself wow really interesting <laughs> thank you so much for coming i'm really happy to talk to you thank you that was a pleasure being here and uh being listened by your listeners Well, thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. You learned something new and also got inspired by the guest. Don't forget to share the episode on your social media and recommend it to people you think they are really interested in this topic. Thank you so much again for giving your valuable time to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.